What's happening, folks? Thank you for tuning in to episode one of This Bud's For You. This week's guest is Nick Lapresti. He goes by the name of Bobo, and we get into that early. However, quick caveat for the listeners, this conversation was recorded before the holidays, so we reference an upcoming date at the Laughing Skull in Midtown Atlanta. That date is passed, but he has more dates coming up, so look for Nick Bobo Lapresti at the Midtown Laughing Skull in Atlanta, and thank you once again for tuning in to episode one of This Bud's For You. That was a big moment in the show's history. I didn't know where I was going to record this episode. Uh, and so I decided to go with, with the computer and we'll see how that works out. So thanks. If you're listening to this right now, you've made a decision that is taking you down a pathway. And I'm very, very happy you did. Uh, thanks for coming in. Stay a while. I am joined today with a good friend, an old friend who's become sort of an inspiration to me. Uh, I, I, look toward, I look to him for some mentorship in the coming days, weeks, months, and, and years. He is an unapologetic Phillies, Philadelphia Phillies, fill-in-the-blank, cheesesteaks, uh, anything you'd like. He's unapologetic about it, and he is a rising star on the comedy scene. Uh, catch him at the Laughing Skull outside or in the Atlanta area coming up in January. I'll let him do the rest. Nick Bobo Lapresti, how are you doing tonight, sir? Great, bud. So much for having me on, man. I'm very excited, and that was a heck of an intro. You're you're off and running. I could learn a thing or two from you. No, talking is uh, talking is my forte, so to speak. I guess I say forte. I just do it a lot. I don't know if I do it well, but we're going to find out. I guess that's the whole point of coming here today. So I gave you two names. I gave you Nick and I gave you Bobo. I didn't know you had the name Nick or Nicholas um, until honestly, it was kind of a revelation halfway through the, uh, the summer we met, which we'll get into, we'll get into that little tease later. Uh, but where did Bobo come from? Who's Bobo? Uh, Bobo is uh, one of my heroes, my grandfather, and he gave me the nickname when he used to watch me when I was growing up and would rock me asleep and call me his little Bobo. And then somehow when I started to learn how to talk, um, the nickname got bestowed back to him. And there were a lot of conversations at family dinners where he tried to tell them that I was the original Bobo and nobody believed him. And then um, before he passed, he um, wrote me a touching letter about you know, golf, because that was a sport that me and him shared and how I was actually the original Bobo. When's the last time you read that letter? Um, About a week because it's back at home safe in Georgia while I've been up in Philly. So I try and read it every morning. It's right next to my. That's okay. That's incredible. I didn't, I didn't expect to go that deep that early, but then again, that's what happens when you, uh, when you, when you open up with your buddies, you said home and you said home as is back home is Georgia right now. But I see for those of you who are listening, I see the Eagles Jersey and I even asked them, they're not even playing tonight. He said, no, but the Cowboys are. So I need to put my, I need to put my positive Philly juju out there and hopefully can, uh, can affect what's going on in football. So talk to me about home. Where, where is home? What's the backstory of Mr. Bobo Lapresti? Uh, yeah. Born in Philadelphia, and then um, 97, right after the Olympics, down to Atlanta is when um, my mom, my sister, and I moved down to Georgia. We uh, come from a town called Marietta, but us uh, preppy East Cobb kids like to call it Scarietta. It's uh, in, in all seriousness, it's about as an ideal place as you could have to raise a family. So there's there's a few not so great parts, but the majority of it is just it seems like perfect town, USA. 
actually one of my really good friends uh jeff mcadams is a lawyer in cobb county up in that area so if you're listen if you're ever in trouble give him a shout shout out mcadams firms uh but if you're ever in trouble just make better choices so you you grew up in your formative years or in the early years was philadelphia that's where your roots are so to speak um best cheesesteak uh i just had it we go to this local place right down the road raise um i've been to gino's and pats and that's kind of cool for touristy but i feel like a lot of tourist locations it gets built up so much that it's hard to live up to expectations and also a side note gino's and pats i didn't realize this until i was maybe in my early 20s the original philly cheesesteak was done with cheese whiz not cheese and that's that's not really my swag I actually knew that from watching the West Wing. Um, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fanatic. I think the entire world can be seen through a West Wing or an Aaron Sorkin universe analogy. But yeah, sauce and whiz. You don't get it with. So let me ask you this, though. Okay, I I like that you're. Is it fair to say you surrender the originality of the cheesesteak? You're not going to challenge that. Not your flavor. You're not going to challenge the originality. But what makes your cheesesteak your best cheesesteak you went right for you're gonna have to fill in the blank for me again why was that why does that make it the best cheesesteak for bobo uh, i i think they do just a bang up job when i got there to pick up my food tonight you just see the raw cuts of steak actually having to be grilled up so it's just red meat and it's not like already pre-cooked you actually see it raw and it has to be cooked up and my ideal philly cheesesteak you just give me a nice soft roll cheese and steak and i think anything past that is overcomplicating it and um i'm a i consider myself to be a very loyal person so when you ride for me i'm gonna ride for you and Ray's has been riding for me since uh 98 80 ride ride riding with pimping since 88 from from the big apple to the pineapple so all right Ray's Ray's is the best cheese steak according to bobo had to get that out early because let's be honest, there's nothing more stereotypical than, than a Philadelphia cheesesteak. When you're talking about stereotypes and regional colloquialities, uh, my mom and I went to Philadelphia years ago for a quick trip over the holidays. And the very first thing we did was go get a cheesesteak and truth gun to my head. Couldn't tell you where we got it. Uh, I just remember that it was kind of felt like it was down an alleyway somewhere. And my mom was like, good, the, the greasier smelling, the better. So, uh, but for the tourists out there, Yes, expect some cheese whiz if you're going for that quote-unquote classic cheesesteak. All right, moving beyond that, what's something, because you and I share an affinity for Georgia. I went to the University of Georgia for for uh, college, and I also grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, Tallahassee, Florida, that little triangle area. of, uh, And so, yeah, I'm very familiar with Scarietta, quote-unquote. I, I, I giggle as hard as you do. But back to Philly, Philly, back to Philly. I saw some posts on Insta, Instaham. You were, you know, we're from fucking Philly. Nobody likes us. Go fuck yourselves. Ah, and there is a pride in that. There, there's almost like, like I said, unapologetically Philadelphia. So outside of cheesesteaks, what, how would you describe to, you know, somebody from outer space or even just, you know, another culture, what it means to be, you know, from Philadelphia? Um, you're expected to just be a blue collar, hardworking person and not make excuses and just keep pushing forward. Um, uh, being in the Northeast, I think you can know, I think, um, I think the weather, um, naturally makes you a bit tougher. It, it, it almost has to not saying that other places don't get cold and temperatures like us, but in terms of the United States, the Northeast seems to have different, different storms. So again, they just want you to be a blue collar 
good person, hardworking, and um, not complain. I love that. So last Philadelphia question, and then we actually will move on because I, I could talk Philly all day just because I'm, I'm a walk by nature. I, I just enjoy listening to people's stories. So looking back in childhood and what's a place that what, besides, you know, Ray's and the cheesesteak, is there another part of Philadelphia? Is there a part of downtown? Is there some sort of experience that you look back and you lean back to, or you retell people when you find yourself when people say, Oh, you're from Philadelphia. What was it like growing up there? What was it like growing up there? So I grew up in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia. And then until I started visiting back when I was in my teenage, early twenties years, didn't get into the city too much, but they're very people. Unfortunately, I will say in terms of big cities, it's one of the dirtier cities I've been to just a lot of trash and stuff everywhere. And that's not just, you know, referring to the people, but, um, Whoa, shots uh, fired. I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it how I see it. That's what, what we do. We don't like to mince words, but um, it, it's my city. So I love it. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. And uh, it's a city of brotherly love. And that's something I wish we would emphasize more and start getting away from that reputation. I um, I want to be a person that brings love and joy to the world. It's it's cool to cheer for your sports teams, but we got to we got to stop with all this nastiness we do sometimes as Philadelphia fans perspective is what you're talking about man and i'm sure the audio that just popped really hard because i came in hard with the perspective but perspective is what you're talking about where yeah we 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 do this we talk to people we interview people we podcast we watch sports uh you know we we give each other you know good-natured ribbing like you just did talking about the trash around philadelphia listen i live in boston when i say live in boston i'm just like you where i'm you know just outside i'm in salem mass in which city which i say come see it it's the freaks the geeks everybody in between you're more than welcome in Salem, Mass, which is why I think I ended up here. But for a frame of reference, I just tell people Boston because it's the closest thing. Um, and it is, it's, it's kind of a smaller, big city. It's in, in it, I gravitated, gravitated towards it for the experience and the culture and the history that surrounds it. But what you just did and you kind of dropped that and I'm like, oh, shots fired. He's talking shit about Philly people. And you kind of had this look on your face like, no, but you don't know I'm not. It's, it's like, I'm just saying, hey, listen, we got to wear our warts and everything on, on our sleeve as, as everybody else would. And you said the city of brotherly love, a mutual friend of ours uh, from the camp world. And we're this deep in before our first camp reference, Drew Gallagher, who uh, he, he used to have a saying because he showed up and this is where we're going to transition into our, our connection and how our worlds kind of intertwined uh, was through a summer camp experience. And uh, before I go into the Druism that, 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 that brings us back to Philadelphia before the work that we did at camp together. Did you go to camp as a kid? I went to day camps in, in Marietta. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Shriner Academy, but it was just a day camp yeah. uh, area. So um, growing up, I was fortunate enough to where we had a summer cabin out in the country of Pennsylvania. So just go up there and spend two months, just honestly getting to be kids. And we were in a fortunate just be out there were 30 cabins everybody knew each other and you could just be out as late as you want to be because it was a safe tight-knit community which um i was very grateful that we had where was that in pennsylvania uh outside of the allentown quaker town area ah my folks lived in williamsport for about 10 years uh after i after i graduated college and moved on they moved away from the south for reasons passing understanding so 
going back to, to, to the Drew connection, you know, we both worked at Camp Laurel South in Maine. Obviously, if you've listened to LaPreste and Guest, which you should, uh, there's a lot of camp connections on there. And I think that's one, I think that's the epitome of the camp experience. You go out, you meet people, uh, you grow, you can be there for one summer, you can be there for 10 summers. If you put yourself out there, whether it's a day camp or, over, or overnight camp, uh, residential camp, you know, you really are going to make some good friends. And I'm off the clock and here I am shilling for camp, uh, which is my future former nine to five job. But Drew showed up one year with a bunch of one bunch of dudes from Fresno State, and they were some dudes, and I loved every single one of them. And I think five of the seven ended up being in my campus. But Drew used to have this saying: sometimes brothers punch each other, and and it was funny to hear him kind of talk to his guys early on and be like, "All right, real quick, this is not kind of that rough and tumble, you know, boy Lord of the Flies kind of." vibe out here you know just take it down one notch that's all we're not talking about you know you can still have fun you can still be boys you can still be out there just we're not popping towels it's not a locker room it's not like that you know it's not a fraternity house and but he would say you know like some that was always his mantra you know dude sometimes brothers punch each other and that's what that reminded me of when you said that it's the city of brotherly love and sometimes brothers are going to punch each other and sometimes we're going to call it like we see it uh, sorry, I just thought that was incredibly kind of poetic that you, you introduced it as the city of brother brotherly love as you're taking pot shots at them, but you you'd have it no other way. It's very much on brand. So you're at Grandma's house in in Philly right now. Tell Grandma we said hello and thank you so much for letting us steal you for a few minutes. And where is home now down in the Atlanta Atlanta area? I don't need you to dox yourself, but where are you hanging? Where can people find you? And especially coming up at the uh, the Laughing Skull, hit that up real quick. Yeah, so um, January 11th is not this upcoming Wednesday, but the one after, I will be at the Laughing Skull in Midtown, and it's very important that I make that Midtown distinction because it's connected to... Did you ever experience the Vortex when you were traveling and experience in Atlanta? Vortex, as in restaurant, had a top, had, had like a top, uh, a top outside kind of uh, seating area, and a phenomenal, one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life for a hangover. It was the first place I experienced like a an egg on my burger of uh, of sorts. Yeah, I've had a Vortex experience. Yeah, so there's two Vortex locations, but only right. one. Has, so that's going to be in Midtown. And I recently, um, in April, finally uh, got my stand-up comedy career going. That's always what I've wanted to do. And I'm working on about my eighth or ninth set right now. And it's um, after my first set, I had, um, during my first set, I had an out-of-body that was kind of like, I, I knew I wanted to die trying to make the most of a stand-up comedy career. I had, I had found what I was after. Tell me about the out-of-body experience. Yeah, I um, I've usually always maintained the saying that once I get a group of people or people laughing, that's pretty much me getting them in the palm of my hands, and then I can take that audience where I want to. I feel like I have that much of a pulse on people and a knack for comedy, and I was just known the Laughing Skull is probably the biggest comedy club in Atlanta, one of only a few that we have, and I was in the middle of my four minute set, and it literally just felt like it's slow i was so in the zone that it slowed down that i literally levitated above myself and could just see the crowd and i always equate situations like that to um when king leonidas is about to kick the persians into that big pit and how everything's just going so slow for him and then i could just see myself looking at myself and almost like the queen gave the nod to him i was just like it was a subtle like this is you bro this is you and 
out of the 74 seats, I only gave people a week's uh, heads up notice, and I ended up packing 20 people in that, and we sold the Laughing Skull out, I think. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of a religious experience, and it confirmed that this is what I was meant to do. You don't have to retell it here. I'm not asking for the. I'm not asking for a free show. I don't even need to see a little leg. But do you remember what the topic or the joke was in the moment that you were about to kick the audience down into the pit and declare your dominance over Sparta and the Laughing Skull? Every um bit I've done so far is, and when for those who don't know, like when you tell a joke and then you move on to the next one in the stand-up world, that's called a bit. So every bit I've done has been camp related or from my days when I was a preschool teacher, which is nice because at least from what I've seen, nobody else has really tapped into that market yet in Atlanta. And I told this story about this time I had a crush on my Zumba instructor and the first time she ever spoke to me in class, she emasculated me. How so? so the first time I took Zumba class, we had this substitute instructor and she was kind of this overweight lady, and I thought this was going to be a breeze. She whipped our asses up and down the floor. Don't don't judge a book by a cover. Then the next week, this beautiful just female just descends from the clouds, and uh, our Zuma instructor, the regular one. And so it's kind of like you have to think of Zumba like Tarzan, where I'm Tarzan, and I'm trying to assimilate with this pack of beautiful gorillas. Not saying that women are gorillas. Not trying to put that out there. Don't. Don't clip this, but I don't at me, bro. I'm out of my element. And so I'm just trying to earn my respect. And finally, after a month into Zuma class, she comes running in and she realizes that she forgot the aux cord to hook up her phone to the sound system. And she said, did anybody happen to have this one aux cord? And the clouds parted. And as I say in my stand-up bit, I could just hear Enrique Iglesias just singing, I can be your hero, baby. And I said, hey, is it this type of chord? And she says, yes. And I was like, I've got that very chord in my uh, in my locker. And she's like, yeah, but I'm guessing you didn't bring your purse to the locker, did you, honey? And <laughs> I just stood oh, there. No. And I, it's just, I don't know if you've ever had 20 to 30, like, 50-year-old ladies in the best shape of their lives laughing at you, but all I did was just put on a smile, and behind that smile, I'm just telling myself, don't cry in front of them. You can do this in the locker room. Just don't cry in front of them now. Go back. Let let every... It doesn't matter what dude sees you crying. In that moment, you cannot break. And it's not even a masculine thing. It's not... It's just... I. I there's a code. And it's almost like a, a human public code. Like, you just got bitch slapped. And you can't, you can't tear up. You just got to wear it because everybody's been bitch slapped. We all know what it feels like. Don't you don't, it's like in little league, don't rub it. You got hit by a pitch. Don't rub it. You couldn't rub it. Oh, that is brilliant. The other song that came to mind, I thought you were going to start singing Willy Wonka. I got the golden ticket. My brother-in-law uh, sang that passing a bourbon to my dad at my sister's wedding. When the bartender said, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We're all out of bourbon and are all out of alcohol. And besides, you know, last call was 30 minutes ago. My dad kind of cocked his head to the side, like father of the bride style. Like, do you know who I am? And my brother-in-law came running over with a bottle of bourbon. Oh my God. Oxcord. Did, do you continue to go to this Zumba class? So um, like a lot of places, um, 
the pandemic had affected a lot of businesses and stuff. And she was also a teacher and um, she actually ended up just retiring from the company on, on good terms. So, and then they were making decisions about what classes to keep and whatnot. And some great classes got kept, some great classes got canceled. So she retired. So she's no longer doing Zumba, but it was one of the more fun gym classes I've ever done. And I loved it. Well, I think I speak for LaPreston and guests when I say this buds for you sends all the well wishes in the world to Zumba instructor. Uh, may she go on to a wonderful life and career emasculating other young men uh, on their way to their dreams. When, when you talk about, you know, cause I too, I too taught for a number of years, everything from kindergarten PE to middle school. Uh, and then I, obviously the camp world, you're right. There's no dearth of funny content. And I'll say every teacher's lounge in America um, has always had the same old kind of not cliche, but the stereotypical, man, we should all write a book. And what I love is you're, instead of writing a book, you're just going to go have a comedy career out of it because you know, the, the interactions you have with young people, it's hard to explain, but you get it where you can't laugh at them in their face, but it's perfectly acceptable as long as they're outside of earshot to retell it to an adult, because we get it, you know, we've all been there. So from, you know, from that kind of world, what's the, uh, what's the easiest part of, of trying to build your comedy career and what's the hardest part of trying to build it right now? The hardest part is getting booked and finding locations. So I am envious of people in the Northeast, in LA, Austin, Texas. There's now. no dearth of comedy clubs. Second time I've said that word. I love that word. SAT word, dearth. Look it up, kids. No dearth of comedy clubs around the Boston area. Yeah. So that's the hardest part is, um, so when you do a bit, what's nice about being in those Northeast cities, LA, Austin, Texas, other great comedy towns is you have so many clubs within a square mile radius that you can go do that bit multiple times. And that's what's going to need to happen because as good as that first bit was, it's it's not reached its pinnacle. And I'm going to have to try that dozens, if not hundreds of more times to where I just feel, you know, this way I have my bit is about as fine-tuned as I can get it. I have literally squeezed all of the juice out of it. This is perfect. When this word follows this word, when I pause here, this is perfect. Um, the easiest part... Ooh, man, that's that's tough because I think the whole thing is just kind of challenging from start to finish. I guess the easiest part for me is in the most humble way I can is I think I do have the natural gift and a natural talent for comedy. And I do kind of have a pulse of what I think people respond to and will laugh at for me personally. You absolutely do. I mean, I will say this. We... Over the years, I worked at that camp for 10, 12, 13 summers, thousand, you know, 1,500 counselors through the years. And I'm not saying like, you know, anything special happened there, but it was kismet. We connected really early and it's because you introduced something to my world. <clears throat> and I will say over time, you've given me public credit as a co-founder, but I'm going to say here and set the record straight. You are the original founder and president of the free hug program. And for those who, for the uninitiated, the free hug program is, is it, it's as easy as it sounds. I mean, you, you can, you can get started today um, with the free hug program. Do you want to talk just a minute about the free hug program before we move on? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd like to think of myself as a lovable guy by nature and want to spread that love. And 
what better way for me is I'm, I'm a big hugger. I'm a big physical touch person. And so wanted to start a free hug program that way any anybody from any type of economic background would be able to pay it and we have a bunch of great different payment plans you know there's a 12 month plan where you can pay $0 a month for your first 12 months with a $0 activation fee of course or you can pay a reduced fee of $0 if you just pay one lump sum and and that $0 activation fee I, I am willing to work with uh, longer payment plans if that's what's necessary because the point is to extend the program to as many people as possible. And don't forget about if you buy two, you get the third free and, and that's, that's zero plus zero. And then we'll throw a, a third zero on there. But um, I got to say the value is through the roof. I'm really, I'm really, the, uh, I'm incredibly proud of the work and the sustainability we did through COVID, you know, six feet apart masks um, in a time where the world said, don't touch me. The free, the free hug program was able to keep the spirit alive while respecting and maintaining uh, you know, the integrity of safety and healthy protocols. So shout out to the free, the free hug program. If, uh, if, if you don't know now, you know, and give us a Google, give us a shout. You're building this thing and you are right. And and I love the confidence that you, you put out there that like, I, I would do this for free. I am doing it for free right now. And that's how I know I love it. Cause I would do it for free. Again, my aforementioned best friend, Jeff, uh, you know, has a law business, you know, it, it, it doesn't, there's no, there's no lacking. There's no, there's no you know, dearth of need in the law business, but he does say, he's like, man, I'd do it. I'd do it for free. He's like, I love it. And that's honestly how I feel about writing and how I feel about doing this stuff. Cause I've been doing it for free for a number of years elsewhere. Uh, so that's why I lovingly call my current job, my future former nine to five, and hopefully I'll be able to pivot uh, and continue. And I've started to, to reach out to some folks to uh, you know, to fill the answer of the question I'm about to give you is, who are some people right now that you kind of look to either for inspiration, guidance, mentorship, any combination of that, uh, either personally or professionally in the comedy world, meaning personally, like, you know, this person, you interact with them, you see them all the time, or even professionally, I see myself as a kind of this direction, not the next blank, but that's your kind of shtick or direction. And you brought up, you know, using kids or the, or at least educational experiences as a brandish cornerstone. So where do you see that direction going, going for you? And who do you look for, for guidance? Um, yeah, there's um, the guidance part is something I'm starting to look into. I haven't really found a comedy mentor, so to speak, but that's more about you getting yourself out there and introducing yourself to people and then having the courage to say, Hey, here's my set. What kind of feedback would you give because a lot of the comics that go on before me they're the established comics and stuff and they've already other spots booked so a lot of times if i'm typically 20 people go on a night i am around 16 or 17 and i need to caveat that that normally sounds good but when you're open mic in amateur comedy it's actually the opposite you don't want to close or headline unless you're an actual paid comedian if that makes sense you know so for the open mic nights with amateur might be going up for the first time, they're going to start out swinging with their regular paid comics, uh, maybe some national comics, and then close with a well-known comic. And then people like me who have goofing around with it for a set or two, we're getting pushed towards the end of the night, Monday through Wednesday, but you've, you've got to pay your dues. So all that to say is a lot of those established comics, by the time I go on, haven't seen my set because they've already bounced to their next set down the road in Atlanta or somewhere else. But 
I did talk to um, a few girls who have seen my sets uh, that are also comics. And, bro, they are some slayers. They are on point with their comedy. They are so tight with their sets. And just watching them, I'm able to learn. And as I get to grow in that community, I'm going to be able to find some mentors to kind of pick apart and challenge my material and show me where I can grow and hold me to a higher standard. I look forward to following through this. Uh, you mentioned, listen, female comedians, A, the fairer sex for me and my and my stated sexual preference, females, no shocker there. I'm married to one. Uh, we have a 50-year agreement. We're on year eight. Uh, we'll renegotiate in 2064 or whatever it might be. I don't know. I might not even be around for it. But part of the reason I married her is because she makes me laugh. Not in the way, she's not a comedian, uh, and uh, but she's funny. And I think that's one of those things where I'm just attracted to female comics in the sense of it. It's almost like it breaks the mold for me. I, I grew up on George Carlin, Dennis Miller, uh, Bill Cosby. Did you see he's planning a tour for next year? Yeesh. How'd you like? To, how'd you like to get approached as that headline as that as that opener? But um, you know, but we did. You know, for the most part, there were not a ton of female comics that were that were national brands. That was just kind of that was also. Uh, that was also the times and i don't mean that as a uh, excuse much more as an observation like we look back and we're like yeah it was a male dominated era you know for a couple thousand years there and so to see the emergence of a lot of the female comics especially through like netflix that's my that's my godsend you know just turn it on and don't judge me with you know the third are you still watching yeah i'm still watching give me you know give me miss wong's next special this is phenomenal I'm crying inside. So when you said, when you, when you noted that they were female comics, I thought that was just kind of uh, interesting in the sense of, you know, what's, what would have been the difference of, you know, if it was a dude or a chick, we don't know. And I'm not putting you on the spot to be like, why did you say they were female comics, Nick? No, I think it's just kind of that subconscious of like, dude, these chicks slay and that's all there is to it. And if they were guys, you probably would be like these dudes slay. I don't think there would have been any, anything of it as I'm talking myself in circles around trying not to get me too in my first episode. I got one final question about, about the comedy. And then um, I have, I, we have a wrap up activity. If you don't mind sticking around uh, for a few questions, we're going to do an emergency nine, but uh, what, what is, you know, five years from now, where do you want Bobo Lepresti to be comedy wise? Again, I think that goes back to a little bit goes back to my loyalty um for me dave Chappelle is the goat dave Chappelle is the goat for me um and now if you gave me one opportunity for who i could open for it's going to be kevin hart because again philly we we don't we don't run we don't run from philly um me personally my high school had such a profound impact on my life and i grew up in a single parent house so i know what it's like to not come from a lot of money per se and struggle knowing where your next meal is going to be so within five to ten years as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west my bucket list my number one goal for where i want to go it's not it's not radio it's not radio city or radio city music hall it's not somewhere in la it's not wembley stadium it's high school and what i want to do is sell that dutch out and I want to find out how much the ticket proceeds cost. And I want to give all of that to charity. And then I want to match it and make sure I'm giving that to teachers and underprivileged children. I just fell a little more in love with you hearing that, that, uh, 
that kind of goal? Not only is it real and attainable, I mean, especially in the next five years with your, your talent and drive, I see it happening for you. I will be putting great thoughts out there. If you're listening to this before January 11th, 2023, make sure you get to which laughing skull midtown down in Atlanta, Georgia, where can folks find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram, the gram, whatever the hot, the gram, whatever it's called nowadays at Bobo Lopresti 20, B-O-B-O-L-O-P-R-E-S-T-I 20. And Lopresti and Guest can be found on all major podcast platforms. And hopefully this year, not hopefully this year, I'll be transitioning and getting it onto YouTube because I never thought people wanted to see conversations talking, but a lot of my friends and guests and fans have asked for me to get the video going as well. So we're going to be in the near future. Yeah. When I told you this is a podcast, I completely lied. This video is probably going to end up on YouTube as well, which I'm glad, I'm glad we got to see your beautiful face earlier. Had We tried to get this in a little earlier and there were some technical difficulties, which was a godsend uh, in disguise because you were bundled up. This, the lighting was bad. We weren't going to see the moneymaker uh, in, in that smile right there. So, uh, all right, before we go, I, I have one final activity and this is something that I will be signing off with, uh, ad nauseum ad infinitum. Uh, you're supposed to do that the other way around. And one of the best to ever do this, and I don't mean podcasting. I mean, do interviews, talk to people, communicate, get stories, uh, was James Lipton and, uh, you know, inside the actor studio guild, uh, or guild inside the actor studio, uh, classic in for the younger folks. If you don't know, who I'm talking about Google them, YouTube them. Some of the biggest names in the world give some of the greatest interviews. But he always ended with the same ten questions, and it was basically a personality test that he had uh, adjusted from somebody, somebody else, some French uh, philosopher or psychologist. And I'm chopping off one because I'm a golf guy. I don't know if you noticed this buds for you, not just so I don't get sued by Anheuser-Busch. They copyrighted or trademarked that in 1982, which I found prophetic since I was born in 82. Uh, but also I'm a huge golf guy. That's kind of, I think the entire world, I can't believe we went this long without talking more golf, but I was more interested in your comedy than hearing myself tell my same golf story. So what I want to do, though, is do a quick emergency nine, and I call it emergency nine because my uncle always said, if you ever have time for nine holes, it's an emergency. Get out there and get it in. But I also think nine is just a good, solid amount of questions. Ten scares me, and eight feels weak. So we're going to start. We're going to run through these, and then I'm going to let you go back to hanging out with Grandma and cheering against the Cowboys. You ready? Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite word? Hmm. <laughs> Mm, ju juxtaposition. What is your least favorite word? Hate. What turns you on? Kindness and pretty ladies. What turns you off? Um, nastiness and hate. This I, I this is almost too much bump set spike. What sound or noise do you love? Um, I love hearing a steak hit the grill. What sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> a number two hit in the can. That's not like a McDonald's number two, right? Ah, Don't have to go any further. Don't have to go any further. Uh, you know what it probably is actually what profession other than your own would you like to try 
that I haven't done already? Correct. Comedy's off the shelf. That that oh. that is your profession. Oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, honestly, a golfer. What profession would you not like to try? Mm, probably, probably engineering. My brother-in-law's an engineer. It makes my, makes my brain hurt. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What took you so long? Well done. Nicholas, Bobo, Lepresti, my, uh, my spirit animal, my guide, my muse. I sincerely appreciate the time, brother. We will catch up soon. Don't forget to check out Lopressed and Guest wherever you find your podcast. And if you like what you just heard, like, subscribe, click, review, ring the bell, click the heart, do all those good things. And we will see you next time.